When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. After months of rumour, Nintendo has finally announced a new Switch, but it's not truly the Switch Pro some were perhaps hoping for. Pocket Rick Henderson joins me to discuss the surprise announcement and what it means for Nintendo fans and gamers alike. Meanwhile, I recently caught up with Benoit Barrette, who's in charge of acoustic engineering for all Fidelio products at Philips, to talk about how you go about designing a specific acoustic signature for your brand and how listening has changed in recent years. Apocalypse Mike Lowe has been playing with the new Vivo X60 smartphone. You might not have heard of them, but should you pay attention? Stay tuned to find out. But first, Rick, back to you. Tell us more about what's new with this Nintendo Switch OLED. Well, it was quite a surprise, to be absolutely honest. Um, <laughs> Nintendo decided to launch something with very little fanfare, just mm. suddenly dropped in our email inboxes. Um, we've been talking about the Nintendo Switch Pro for a good year or so, um, which is um, an upgraded version of the Nintendo Switch. And along with that were an awful lot of expanded specifications, new processor, etc. Mm. Then Nintendo um, hit us with a brand new Switch, but it didn't include an awful lot of what we thought it would. Um, however, um, the Nintendo Switch OLED model, as it, as they've decided to call it, which is a bit weird, yeah. um, does actually look really good. <laughs> if you don't have a Switch already, it's it's super. It looks superb. I mean, we haven't had one in yet, but so, uh, it does look good. So let's go back slightly to to the beginning of the story. What does it come with, and how is it different to? the current switch that's available right in in size and uh, style and the fact that you get a dock uh, to put it to connect it to your tv as well as being able to use it in handheld mode it's very similar it had it's the same same size almost identically um and um it comes with exactly the same kind of joy cons the joysticks that snap onto the sides um however it also comes with a brand new screen, hence the OLED model in the name. Right. It is a seven-inch OLED panel. Now that is quite significant. The previous version had a six-point-two-inch LCD panel, and rather than increase the size of the console, so that when you're playing it in handheld mode, they've they've managed to reduce the bezel around the edge because it's OLED technology and doesn't need a uh, an edge lit backlight it means that they can reduce the bezel so they can increase the screen size the other benefits to an oled panel anybody who has actually seen an oled tv or in fact used most modern smartphones these days with mm. amoled technology they will understand and recognize that oled technology gives you better color contrast uh, better color saturation better contrast and generally a better picture uh, picture performance completely the disappointing part of the new uh, nintendo switch it doesn't come with any kind of bump in resolution or processing but then i should imagine if you do want to upgrade and you've already got an awful lot of switch games at least you're guaranteed that this will also play them 
Yeah, and I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's here is as you said, it's not 4K. It's not you know, it's not the faster processor that we were hoping for, expecting. But then this is this is what Nintendo does, and they did this very consistently with the 3DS. Just that constant trickle of 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 upgrades. You know, last year we saw a better battery, didn't we? A slightly longer lasting battery, and and then this year we've obviously seen the screen. Do you think this will build to a? a are we still waiting for the Switch Pro? I think we will still see a Switch Pro, but not this year. Um, I, I, it's almost certain that they. If you if you think of how they worked with the 3DS or at least the DS, um, and they released several iterations of the DS before they suddenly hit everybody with a 3DS, and that was a massive sort of like leap forward. And then the 3DS kept going for ages in lots of different iterations, and you kind of see the same pattern coming now with Switch. We had the Nintendo Switch. We had a slightly better battery version. Then we had uh, the Switch Lite, which is the handheld-only version, which in a way you could call the Nintendo um, 2DS, which sort of followed yeah. the 3DS to, to, to cut back on a few of the features. And now we've got this Switch OLED model. Um, it's really following its own traditional pattern. And why we couldn't have seen that coming, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true, true. It hasn't surprised anyone. <laughs> and so who's going to buy this? People that have yet to buy the Switch or people that have got the Switch and think, oh, actually, you know, is it, do you think it's going to be worth an upgrade? It's a tricky proposition to, to tell people to upgrade from. Uh, if you've got an existing Switch, you're not getting a, an awful lot more. It's You're only getting that better screen, really, and a LAN port on the, on the uh, dock. But you can buy that dock separately anyway. So if you have got an existing switch and you do really need a wired internet port, then you can go out and buy one and it is compatible. Who, who but would have thought the, in 2021 yeah. we were getting excited about a LAN port in a, in, <laughs> in a games console? But it's absolutely not worth upgrading apart from that because it, it won't do any more than your existing switch. However, if you are in the market for a new one, it is only £30 more for a significantly better and bigger display. Mm. And that, I think, is is worth a consideration. And presumably, I wonder what the battery life will be like with the new screen because it should be better because the OLED um, won't have as much of a drain on the LCD yeah. as the LCD would. That is an unanswered question at the moment because obviously nobody's actually got their hands on one of these. It's not coming out until the 8th of October. So um, so we won't expect to see one until at the very earliest a month beforehand. So we can't really do any battery tests at the moment. But mm. OLED does traditionally use less power. And if they haven't upped the processing or any of the other features, then I can't see why the battery life wouldn't stretch a bit further. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Vivo X60 smartphone. And this phone, the X60 Pro, its most distinctive thing is the camera um, is mounted in like a gimbal stabilization. So when you're shooting video, it's really sort of crazily smooth. Last year, we saw new Philips Fidelio products for the first time in five years. And this year and beyond, the Fidelio name will continue to bring us premium audio products, including a soundbar and additional headphones. Benoit Bruet is part of the team making that possible. And his role at Philips is fairly simple. He is the bridge between the research and development department and the product managers for headphones, soundbars, and connected audio products, helping them plan their product roadmaps, which products they should focus on, oh, and which new technologies they can include. I started by asking him how the changes in technology have changed the way he goes about designing new products. 
I think there's, yeah, there's probably two aspects to it. One is uh, purely about uh, the uh, aspects of, uh, of sound and sound quality for which uh, here basically, or, or the architecture of an audio product for which we obviously now to be, uh, need to be a bit more connected. But in terms of sound quality, I think one of the things that's quite important to me uh, when we design the audio architecture of a, of a new, let's say, a pair of headphones or... Uh, is really to try and make sure that we we use the right amount of quality for each of the components and that they all match each other. So if the main source is streaming services uh, and we know it's going to be uh, for a large majority uh, compressed signals, mm -hmm. and obviously you're going to have to make sure that you don't overshoot on, on certain components uh, in your chain. So it's consistent and uh, and really bringing the best out of your uh, of your experience when when we look at this. The other angle is obviously uh, use cases, uh, bringing uh, bringing music on the go much easier and much in a much wider spectrum uh, is also something that opens up uh, new new aspects of product uh, applications, product use, uh, and and what the product should serve as a as a need. I would say. And do you feel you know if we'd had this conversation maybe five years ago, then streaming music services and stuff, and you know things like Dolby and spatial audio and high res and all these kind of things weren't really a thing. Has that forced you to change to change the way you think about sound and, and headphones? Um, well, for me, I would say as long as we really are um, for, about sound, I would say we're really targeting the the, the the our sound signature, you know, for, for our strategies to, to target uh, our sound signature and to install our sound signature uh, throughout our, um, our, uh, our, our uh, audio lineup in general. So mm. a sound signature for me is more about uh, this is what we believe is, uh, is, is, uh, is the right balance uh, across, the, across the frequency spectrum. And, and so for me, I would say I wouldn't, as long as a headphone has actually this transparency, I think it should actually apply to the same, be it music or be it multi-channel audio or even binaural rendering, if we talk about headphones. Uh, for me, this is really something that, in a way, what can do more can do less. So if you target the most, uh, I would say, the most demanding part, sure. uh, normally it should be able to reproduce it uh, just as well with other, um, other content in general. I'm more a believer of... Uh, uh one size fits all uh, when it comes to sound performance so uh, one setting fits all right uh that's really uh, a personal belief of mine and we talk about you know lots of companies talk about this acoustic signature and how do you define philips's acoustic signature is there a certain not formula but you know kind of a, a way you describe it and and how has that changed over time or has it changed over time yeah i think the, the the sound signature came up pretty early as we as we kicked off our Fidelio range. Our Fidelio range is our premium segment within Philips brand, um, and and yes, it felt like we had to to kind of uh, design our or to really stand for something in terms of a of sound balance in general. And I think a sound signature, the way I I look at it is the there's a lot of a sound attributes describing the listening experience in general. Uh, I like to, to compare with wine tasting and the amount of fancy words you could actually, mm -hmm. uh, you could actually use to describe wine. And in essence, each and every word has a, a link to a certain part of, the, of our taste. Um, 
it's the same for audio, I think. Uh, each uh, each word should, uh, and each sound attribute has um, basically uh, an impact on the listening experience, has a, has a, is a way to describe the listening experience. And uh, the sound signature itself is which of those sound attributes to focus on when we tune uh, our products. And to answer your question, the way, the way, uh, the way we define this uh, sound signature for us is we're not going. We're basically trying to be, as I mentioned before, but definitely transparent. Uh, try to be balanced. Uh, but when it comes to tuning, sometimes you have to make choices, and and these choices are things that we always want to make sure we strike the best balance. So mm. to be very concrete, if we split the spectrum into bass, mid mid range, and and high frequencies. Um, the bass, for example, we want it to extend very low, uh, so we can actually reproduce any kind of instrument extending so low, especially when it comes to, uh, to electronic music, where you really reach uh, super low frequencies. We want this to be deep, but the problem with certain uh, devices or certain, uh, uh, for example, a subwoofer, is that if you want to extend too low and you push the acoustics too low, typically you will probably have a problem with this impact and the tightness of the bass. So the way we approach it is deep bass, but always keeping it uh, tight. So always balancing tightness and depth. So we don't, we don't overshoot and over uh, and, and demand too much to, to the system. For the mid range, we are going, uh, we're going in a way balanced, but that's where maybe a little twist is quite specific to Philips. We want, a, we call it warm sound. But for me, what it is, is um, if you have the choice in your tuning uh, phase, uh, tuning a product to between a little too much or a little too less of the lower part of the mid-range, so right. really the, 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 the bottom part of, the, of, a, of your voice, of a male or female voice, uh, this is where I would put a little more. I would be a little generous in there. I think I've always felt it adds, uh, it adds a certain presence to the voice, a certain... Uh, charisma uh, in a way uh, i don't know how to express it yeah. really it's really something that i feel makes it more uh, more natural and do you find that that signature then gets applied to every audio product you make whether it's headphones soundbars speakers or things like that or do you do you believe that a different device should have a different audio you know different acoustic signature no i think um so the 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 approach was a bit uh, progressive uh, in essence we started with headphones it was the easiest one to also control uh, as well across a wide range of products because philips is indeed uh, has a wider portfolio mm. of products uh, so we started with headphones and with headphones what is nice is there's a good part of the listening experience i'm not saying all of it but a good part of it is defined by actually uh, the the frequency response measurement so the um, the, the measured response of the headphone, uh, which is something we can then uh, translate into a certain uh, signature, sound signature curve that we are targeting. So we started with that. Uh, this was defined subjectively and then translated into a measurement and a target curve. And now uh, we are looking into how to apply this into uh, any home audio headphone, uh, home audio product, sorry, so sound bars, mm. wireless speakers, Bluetooth speakers, these kind of things. And there, the process for now is a little more uh, subjective than objective, meaning it's a little less about measuring, a bit more about listening. And there's a lot of listening involved in the tuning and the sign-off of the of our products. Uh, at the moment, I would say the the process is not the most optimal, simply because um, 
because I'm, I'm I'm basically signing off the the at least the Fidelio part uh, and 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 all the higher end products, and um, that means that I can control that sound signature, but um, but now we need to see how to expand it uh, towards more than just the, the top of the line, and, yeah. and try to apply it to to more products, and that will be a team effort, I believe. And does that? I suppose the choice of materials has a has an impact on that acoustic signature. If you're using metal, or if you're using plastic, or or wood, or you know other things, and, and probably what you put inside the product as well, because mm. it would change the change the chamber and, and all the other stuff. How how do you prioritize on that? You know, do you, do you suddenly go, oh, it'd be lovely to make them in metal, but that would just change that acoustic signature? I think. Um... Yes, there is this thing about uh, material versus uh, an impact on material versus uh, on the sound quality, on the listening experience. Um, I think for this, I th- the way I see it is the choice of material is um, maybe sometimes more linked to some certain constraints. For example, you mentioned metal. Um, I think um, uh, metal has not necessarily doesn't have necessary to sound different from, uh, for example, a, a wooden uh, speak, a speaker made of, a, of wood or NDF mm. or equivalent, because in the end, there's so much more around just the pure behavior of the material, uh, how it behaves through uh, when it's constrained, uh, when it's high pressure inside the box, um, sometimes can be compensated with internal structures and stuff for wood, for example, how much it absorbs, how much it's rigid is something that is uh, that, that, that always has a... Um, it's not just purely about the material, but also about the construction, the shape of it. What I believe the material is important for is that when you want to reach certain targets in terms of ergonomics, for example, for a Bluetooth speaker, something that fits in your hand, but still you want to have like uh, the kind of bass performance that uh, mm. a lot of our consumers would expect today, nowadays. That means you really want to have a really rigid, um, uh, really rigid uh, enclosure but you want it thin as well, as thin as possible, so it doesn't grow too big. So that means metal, there are steps in, and that's the way I would kind of advocate for a certain material, is to say, look, metal can actually achieve the same rigidity as uh, certain types of, uh, of plastics or certain types of wood with a much thinner uh, layer. So we reduce the size of the products simply linked to that. So I wouldn't apply necessarily a direct link between a material and the resulting listening experience. Uh, but there's a lot more in between. I would say that I would uh, I would adjust and look at it maybe differently. And do you think there's a material that you you don't currently work with that you'd like to work with? You know, is are we going to see sort of like ceramic headphones or titanium headphones or, or things like that? Because then that gives you the kind of lightness, but you know, the strength or the different sound quality or things like that. Um, yeah, I think for me, I'm, I'm very open to, to, to think about what kind of materials we could be using to, 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 to make a better acoustic enclosure or these kind of things. Uh, maybe a, an interesting path could be more linked to the material used for the diaphragm itself. Uh, so for the really the speaker driver mm-hmm. uh, that's inside that enclosure, uh, for which then you could actually probably think about uh, different materials to, to make your driver maybe more sensitive. And so in essence, having a better performance in terms of distortion, for example, all these kind of things. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say that at the moment I would be so, uh, I have a specific material that could, that would replace and, uh, and, and really, uh, 
something overtake the, uh, the 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 typical ones that we would be using again because we're in the mass market. Sure. Different different material means sometimes uh, a, a, a quite a high up cost, and so we have to be careful about what we choose in terms of material, so we can still hit this premium mass market we're targeting with Fidelio. Um, and in general, uh, a mass market if it's about Philips. Uh, so sometimes we also have to make sure that we hit the right compromise. If the added value is worth it, yes, we will surely consider it. But we really need to make sure that the, there is a strong added value, uh, be it about touch and feel, size of products, or sometimes sound quality. Yeah. The Vivo X60 Pro is a timely launch for the brand. As many eyes have been transfixed by Euro 2020 football matches taking place around Europe, you may have caught glimpses of Vivo's white on blue logo flashing up on board, slowly working its way into your psyche. Sure, that's just advertising doing its job, but for a newcomer to the West, the brand that has a lot of clout and years of experience behind it, it's a great way for Vivo to attract new prospective customers. The big question, of course, is whether the X60 Pro is, well, actually any good. Luckily for you, Pocket Lint's Mike Lowe is here to tell us more. He's been using it for the last couple of weeks. So, Mike, what do you think about this new phone? Uh, it's actually really pretty good. Um, and it's it's kind of... I think it's good to talk in that that intro there about the fact um, it's not really a very known brand. No, it's kind of massive in China, um, and it obviously has clout because it's paying as a principal sponsor for Euro twenty twenty. Um, so that's definitely a way of getting eyes to to look at screens and think about oh, what's that, you know, which is one way of doing things. But if the product's rubbish, it doesn't matter, right? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of. Sometimes you would almost imagine it wouldn't be that good because you're relying on that kind of advertising. But actually, this is kind of a bit of a flip over the other way. So Vivo, just as a bit of background, really, I've been dealing with them for, for years. And they're one of those companies that have been making some fairly wacky kind of concept phones, like the, the first phone with no ports or openings whatsoever. Um, they've even like been unofficially, but they're, they're playing around with like a a drone camera phone we can fly a little thing away from it so they've got some big ideas um and this phone the x60 pro its most distinctive thing is the camera um is mounted in like a gimbal stabilization so when you're shooting video it's really sort of crazily smooth and hmm. no one else does that and it does it really really well so it does have a usb which is great and that's and how did you find it so you obviously i know you're a cameraman you've you've covered cameras on 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 pocket limb for a long time that's kind of your your kind of one of your niche areas what how does it fit like is it as is the camera good does that help it helps massively for video in particular so um the the, the series of phones because outside of the uk it comes as there's an x60 there's an x60 pro and an x60 pro plus just to be really confusing um in the uk we don't need to worry about that it's just the one phone that we handle um but some months ago when I was shooting little social bits, um, I had the Pro Plus, which has a similar gimbal system. And I was just using that instead of a proper camera to shoot like walking video. Because you know when you walk and you, you get mm. a stompy foot kind of thing and on a small screen you think, oh, it looks fine. And then you look back at it and it's like, oh. <laughs> and you're like shaking away and you just yeah, get sick, seasick looking at it on a big screen. Yeah, yeah. But with this, it just doesn't do that. Like it's really, it's pretty crazy. It's really clever. So it's great to have something kind of simple but just very effective that's kind of pushed into to a phone so from a video point of view um it's great uh 
on the downside, I suppose the cameras overall in this particular phone aren't sort of like the best ever, um, but it, it does a good enough job. Um, but it, you know, this is a sort of positioned in the middle kind of handset. It's not. It's not trying to compete with like the Galaxy S twenty one Ultras out there. It's it's more mid to high level. It's not going to cost you over a thousand pounds. It's seven hundred and fifty. Um, so it doesn't have the best of best in terms of cameras, but the gimbal thing is very cool. And so beyond the camera, how does it fare? Do you kind of, does it start becoming a mishmash of sameness that sometimes you can get from Chinese manufacturers or is it still standing out there on its own? Um, so I think when I first saw Vivo phones, they were using their own setup called FunTouch OS. And often what you find in, in Chinese handsets is they try and mimic a lot of uh, Apple iOS style um, for their home country but actually we've spent quite a long time making a global version and it's taken kind of years to actually launch it where it is more or less just like stock google android which is decent so it's familiar i've not found too many bugs with it which is great um and compared to some others that are kind of fighting for the same space like say xiaomi with its miui um the vivo stands out as being kind of more stable from from my experience so yeah, can't can't say too bad on that front either. It just kind of functions as sure yet another Android phone, and there's plenty out there. But at least it doesn't kind of falter on on the kind of basics. And as far as compared to the competition, how do you feel it, it fares? I know you scored it quite highly on on the site. Yeah, it's it's a recommendable phone. You know, there's like I say, there's little things where there could be improvements, such as in the cameras. Um, but just using it is just. It's not too big, it's not too bulky, the design's nice, the software's thought about, and it's all those little things that kind of accumulate and add up when you're using a phone, because, you know, I, I change phones every single week, yeah, um, if not more, and it's kind of refreshing just being like, okay, this, this feels really quite considered, so it isn't just advertising nonsense, it's actually, they know what they're doing, it seems, um, so I've been really quite pleasantly surprised, and, and I'll probably be moving back into it once I'm done with my current other phone. And that was going to be the, my final question is, is is it good enough that you, and let's face it, you have the pick of most phones that you can use. So is it good enough that you'd want to move back in? Definitely, yeah. Although part of that is down to how much I scratch other phone screens. So I've got some really nice ones that might have been dropped onto like gravel and stuff. Um, so sadly, some of the best of the best are looking a bit more tired. This guy is uh, looking fresh and clean, and um, yeah, I'll definitely be using it again, even just largely for that video um, smoothness capability. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.